Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another fine edition of Ghost Chronicles, the international edition, right here on Tojinet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, Planet Paranormal, and far beyond. I am Ron Kolick, your host, and with me all the way across the Atlantic Ocean is the gold standard in ghost hunting, Mr. Stephen Parsons. Good evening, Rod. How are you? I am outstanding, uh, Mr. Parsons. Uh, I am glad that we have a pre-recorded program tonight. We do? Are we do? <laughs> <laughs> Sounded like we were both being Stephen Hawking. Ah, oh, Stephen Hawkins. There you go. Anyways, uh, can you believe it? Uh, tickets are yeah, actually yeah, I can't, cannot believe listening to just before we came on air being yeah. taught English by an American, sponsored good. by a bariatric surgeon. Good, good, oh, good. in America. Yeah. So, we, what you mean? People are coming after last yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, Spirit Quest is this is the third or fourth year? I keep forgetting. Fourth three. year, right? Four. No. Three. Four. Uh, was the one before I came over? Of course, there was. In that case, four. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Four years. Uh, yep, Forty first, years. Yep. The first one uh, uh, was uh, with uh, a friend of yours and mine, Cal Cooper, and uh, it's. Well, can we just stick it? We know him. <laughs> well, he's a friend on Facebook, right? Uh, is he? I'll have to. Yeah. I'll have to rect- I'm going to rectify that after we come off. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking about Cal, it's been a long time since we've had him on the show. Well, we'll be getting him back on the show in the coming weeks um, because, as you know, Cal and I have uh, co-written a book. <laughs> say co-written um, called Paracoustics, which is an examination of all things relating to sound and the paranormal. Uh, so it's the book's actually split into two halves. The first half is... Uh, the good half. Well, it's authored by, authored by myself and Cal, and it considers the work that... I was going to say telephone calls from the dead, but you knew that, didn't you? Um, <laughs> and the, and the, the, Would you like to learn a free book? Uh, I've I've got several propping up the coffee table, um, so the first half is is the you know uh, a broad study. It, it starts off with a uh, the chapter on physics of sound, then the psychology of sound, moving through some noisy ghosts and through some noisy spirits. The difference being there, some noisy ghosts actually examines the role of sound within haunted locations, and some noisy spirits uh, examines the role of sound within the seance room. Uh, then we look at EVP, um, and there are chapters on EVP, inevitably <laughs> covering telephone calls as well. Then we have authored chapters from uh, contributors uh, who are studying aspects of sound and the paranormal. So we have one from, for example, Anne Winsper, uh, a regular guest on the show who's 
been, as part of her PhD research, is studying EVP and the psychology of EVP. And we getting have, tattooed. Uh, and getting tattooed. We have uh, chapters from... Um, Dr. Barry Colvin, who has done an extensive acoustic survey that looks at uh, raps, knocks, and bangs related to poltergeist phenomena. Oh, this is pretty cool. Um, we also have uh, sa- uh, chapters relating to music and death, so the psychology of music and how that interacts with people, because so- people have known for a long time that, that music... Has very it creates very powerful emotions. You know, everybody has a favourite song that engenders emotion, but we take that uh, further into, um, you know, how it then relates to the paranormal, and then it concludes with appendices, which are um, facsimile copies of research papers that have been published over the years that relate to it. So we've got Vic Tandy's papers on infrasound. My own uh, paper on infrasound is in there too, and others. And then there's also some how-to guides, which, you know, uh, techniques on how to conduct EVP, how to analyse sound, uh, what equipment you might want to select. So it's it's a pretty broad book, and hopefully it should be available around Easter. Oh, that's what I was going to ask you, when it's available, uh, because you, you, for those who don't know you, Steve Patton is coming over here in September, and he'll be here for Spirit Quest, which tickets are on sale, and, and they're selling well, which is good. Uh, this year, it's uh, we look at witchcraft and uh, ghost hunting, but uh, you also be doing other events, too, and I, I'm thinking that we should do a special one on paracoustics. I, I think it's... Uh, uh, a timely subject, and and after you've actually told me about the book, it actually seems interesting now. Oh, thank you. Um, well, there was actually, um, if you recall, last year there was a, a request and a plan to do the infrasound talk, which is for, for, uh, forms part of paracoustics. Um, but we can, yes, absolutely, I can certainly put together a talk that that supports paracoustics. Um, I say paracoustics itself is a very broad book, so inevitably the talk will have to consider aspects of, uh, you know, from within the book. It can't cover right. the I mean, that's what we should be looking at. I, I yeah. think it's a great idea. We're looking at, we're looking at fi- I think it's around 500 pages uh, in hardback. 500? Yeah, about 500 pages. Large print, I hope. Uh, well... Um, it might be quite small print, actually, because we're going to cram it all in and keep the pricing to a reasonable degree. Uh, but we're, I've been quite insistent that uh, we go with hardback because I think it, it. the book is designed to appeal to both the academic researcher, the parapsychologist, who's, who, because, you know, I've always said that parapsychologists, when they go into the realms of physics uh, and out of the sort of comfort zone of psychology, really do need a bit of a helping hand. Uh, so it's aimed... For, it's aimed at providing that for them, but it's also very much also provided at the uh, serious, interested uh, investigator, mm-hmm. uh, or just somebody who's interested in the role of sound and the paranormal. Right. I, have, I, is, I actually have a book I'm working on now. It's uh, a Parapsychology for Dummies, and uh, I, I expect it to be a real good seller. It'll be a very small book then. No, we even have a, a little tear-out uh, diploma in the back. <laughs> uh, it, it's a great idea. I mean, people have been really knocking. Has, it, has it got a section? Has he got a section that you can colour in as well? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they'll need one. They'll need one. Yeah, there you go. 
So, anyways, uh, this book really is, is interesting, and, and I'm you know some of the subjects are uh, I didn't realize I didn't realize they were in the book because they, they go along with a lot of uh, the work I'm working with. Uh, you know, for instance, the red light seance and and you know uh, what's the word acoustics is part of that, I guess. Well, uh, do you know we the very first. Uh, that one of our very first senses that becomes active, uh, even within the womb, is is our sense of hearing, mm-hmm. and uh, it's also one of the. It's also the sense that that never really shuts down. Um, think of it in terms of even when you're in a deep sleep, your alarm clock will still wake you because your hearing is still switched on. Um, they some when people. I was, <laughs> yeah, some people. When I was in nursing, uh, one of the things that we used to tell people when they were dealing with patients who were unconscious is to speak to them because they could, they could, uh, they could hear you and respond. So, sound is a very key part of our sensory uh, system, and it's something that you know, there isn't there isn't a single paranormal case uh, that that really doesn't involve sound you have the apparition gliding up the corridor with the swish of the dress you have the footsteps you have the knocks you have the raps you have the classic chain rattling ghosts you have moans and groans we we do um we live in a world of sound uh and strange enough even even people who are profoundly deaf can respond to sound because sound is is simply vibrations vibrational of, right through yeah. the air and uh, there are a lot of people who are profoundly deaf there are there are, I, I give one example uh there's a there's a very famous percussionist um who is profoundly deaf but her 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 senses have have uh, adapted so that she can sense the vibrations. She can hear without using her ears uh, the vibrations. And of course, that's something you and I can all uh, do, and every listener to the show, because uh, hearing we always associate with our ears, but hearing is actually done using a multi-sensory system we hear through our body we hear through our bones we have bone conduction hearing and you know the there are guys in the air force um, and in the your your secret service and they have their earpieces that are that are positioned behind the ear and they're hearing through bone conduction so hearing is something that's you know it's it's a crucial part of what makes us human and of course the paranormal is one aspect of that it's a human experience and the two of them are inexorably linked together so you talk i mean there was one chapter about poltergeist and the, and the raps and the taps and there's another right. one you mentioned something about seances and and is this now is it we talking disembodied voices or, or what are we talking about uh what we're talking about is um specifically um the, the the sound uh, uh, events that accompany seances. So um, I say I didn't I didn't author the chapter on on seance sounds. I did the mm-hmm. the the haunted location sound. But you're absolutely right. Uh, disembodied trumpet voices, as they were called, um, would be would be a feature of that. Um, as would you know the the knocks on the tables, the rapping uh, the, that seemingly comes from nowhere. Would all fall part of that panoply of sound that accompanies uh, the the traditional seance, and 
when you when you take that forward into the second part of the book, the work done by Dr. Colvin, Barry Colvin, here in the UK, uh, member of the SPR, he spent a, a, a great deal of time uh, analysing the, the actual recordings of seance sounds, the knocks and raps that come from the, the, the table seemingly without any... Uh, any form of uh, human intervention, and also uh, the sounds uh, that that are associated with poltergeist cases. And he's looked at these using uh, audio spectrum analysis and has noticed that there are some very distinct differences between uh, when they've been replicated by people actually banging and knocking on, 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 on objects and tables and those produced seemingly by, by the spirit role. Mm-hmm. So that's in itself. It's a fascinating chapter. Plus, he did a he authored a paper some years ago, and we've we've uh, hopefully included the paper in the appendix. Oh, excellent! You know, it would be an interesting subject. I don't know if it's covered by the book. Was uh, mediums that a clear audience would to it would be interesting to set them up in a basically a soundproof room and. Uh, you know, measure. I'm trying to think. Measure was that the proper word? You know what I'm, I'm getting at, uh, Steve? Well, um, I, I do, um, and I don't think that it, that has ever been tried. Where you would use uh, brain scanning, you would put them into a, uh, an electroencephalograph and monitor the brainwave activity to see if they were responding to an external voice or a real a real voice, a real perceived voice. Um, but I'm guessing that the problem there lies that, that maybe the, the one part of the brain would respond. It would be interesting to find out whether... I don't know how you'd do the control. Maybe you'd need to uh, compare clairaudient mediums to, for example, people with... Uh, uh, schizophrenia, who hear uh, who hear voices, and I know that some research has been done into uh, schizotypy, which is people who have a tendency towards that that sort of spectrum uh, of of um, the brain. I think it would probably be uh, two phase. I mean, one would be. Uh, to measure the the uh, subject, but the other one would actually uh, be to measure the environment. So that the, is there anything external that can be picked up? Well, uh, what's yeah, what's interesting is we uh, come back to sound again. We mm-hmm. you've heard me talk many times about sounds that we can't hear when exactly. I've been re- when I've been referring to infrasound and ultrasound, which are by by reason of their frequency, they're too high in frequency or too low in frequency for us to hear. But what's interesting from my own research, and I've got you know hundreds and hundreds of hours of recordings of the acoustic environment in normal places and in uh, haunted locations, is that the sound is still there. It's just that it's you know um, it, it can be very quiet. So sounds of there's a well within our the ability of our ears to hear in terms of frequency are simply too low in in volume or amplitude for us to respond to to hear. But what's interesting is we are actually responding to them. Uh, can, to these... can those sounds be measured? It's... Well, yes, they can easily, and I have uh, I, I've uh, perfected a system that does exactly that. I can tell you, you know, 
what the sound what the sound is and what frequency it is, even though the human ear can't can't actually hear it. It's it's relatively straightforward and simple to do. Uh, the difficulty comes it's when the frequency is outside the human hearing range that it gets it gets uh, difficult to measure. But inside the human hearing range, it's very simple and straightforward. Does the SBR have a laboratory at all anywhere? Uh, no, they have a lavatory, but they don't have a laboratory. <laughs> um, no, they don't. They don't have those facilities. They rely on uh, universities like Northampton and Edinburgh and a handful and of others. And I assume Parasites doesn't either. Uh, no, but we we've used the laboratories inside some of the universities. We've built um, we've built uh, psychomantians up at Liverpool University. Oh, I love psychomantians. Uh, yeah, we spent we spent many hours Anne and I with uh, reams of felt and velvet making the psychomantium chamber uh, up at Liverpool uh, in order to do our own research. Uh, this was unrelated to academic research by the university, uh, but we were, we were given access to the university to, to construct a psychomantium in a, in a research lab there, which was fun. In fact, it's probably still there. Interesting. I noticed that uh, Nathan in the chat room has a question. Uh, can you see that, Steve? Do you want to pick that? Yeah. Right, yeah, I can answer this one. Uh, like the whole tree in the forest, is the sound still there, even though there is no person to hear it? Absolutely, definitely. Yes, Nathan, because I can prove that that's the case. Um, I can prove that sound is there uh, in, a, in a room with you uh, whilst you can't hear it. Interesting. Because we have electronic devices that can detect it. Because sound is simply the movement of air. Yeah, that's uh, it's 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 an well. Yeah, I mean it can no, be measured. Can. Yeah, we can measure it because um, yeah. as long as the air is moving, it it is it is causing an acoustic pressure wave, which is and just another name for sound. And uh, we can measure it in terms of its amplitude and we can measure it in terms of its frequency, even though um, you could put a thousand people in that room and not one person would hear it. So, yes, if the tree, if the sound, the sound is there, but nobody needs to hear it. But we call it an acoustic pressure wave. We call it sound. Sound is the... The, the the more usual term for for acoustic pressure waves that are discernible by the human ear, but they're all exactly the same thing. Interesting. Now, as you know, I'm working on this red uh, light science project, and um, I, you know, I want to keep moving it up a notch and a notch as far as uh, being able to uh, record it and. Uh, so forth. So, um, perhaps you have some suggestions on, on dealing with sound. Uh, is, is there something other than just placing a recorder on the table, or, or I mean, what what type of things should uh, I be, you know, looking at? Well, at the most ba- at the most basic level, what you're you're first of all trying to do is to objectify whether you could if somebody says that they heard something if if somebody reports a sound then you need to have a, some form of objective verification um in terms of a recording so what you really need is a recorder um but not not one I, uh, that that's for evp what you need is the highest quality sound recorder you can get so something 
a good quality uh, recorder with a an external microphone positioned on a, an anti-vibration stand. Uh, you know, one of these um, mm-hmm. rubber rubber mounts. So okay. it so it's not picking up sound vibrations through the mic, microphone stand or or, or uh, through handling. That's that's it. Because if somebody says I heard something, I heard a noise, I heard a voice, then you have, uh, you know, there's no point in li- in looking uh, for sound outside what people are hearing. Because uh, if they're not hearing it, you don't know it's there, so they're not going to report it anyway. You're trying to verify a human experience first of all. Now you've done a, a lot of research in seances, right? Uh, a, a little, a fair amount. Uh... A fair, a fair amount. Okay. I mean, do you, are you aware of uh, any recorded ones that were done in the, in night darkness or red light? Um, yes, there are there are many that have been done in in full light. There are many seances that have been conducted in daylight, in in white light. Um, and we're not just talking recently; we're talking right the way back to, for example, Daniel Hume, D.D. Hume. Uh, he performed seances or. Um, in, in, in full light he also performed them in red light and in darkness and that was true of other mediums too um, I'm just trying to think of some of the names um, but I mean but yes, def- definitely red light red light is the actual desire for red light comes from uh, ostensibly the spirit realm because the, it's, it's, it's through spirit via mediums mm-hmm. uh, asking for for red light that, and telling us that they perform best and they work best in red light that the red light sense was created this isn't a creation of, of man um, well not living man anyway saying oh let's put let's put a red light on um, this actually came uh, from spirit there are, there are countless um, books relating to spiritualism where you have uh, t- um, the, the testimony of a medium who is describing the, the 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 wishes and the desires of the of the spirit that they're communicating with, um, and trying to seek to push the boundaries forward, mm-hmm. and the spirits are actually asking for red light. Although it's always been said to be a cover. All right, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say the skeptics would also argue that, of course, the dimmer the light, the, the better the cover the medium has to perform. Yeah. Um, now, uh, a good a good friend of mine, uh, Laura Worcester, went to Arthur Finley in your neck of the woods. Uh, it's it's a well known. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So when they perform their uh, seance, their physical mediumship seance, and, and the, the physical mediumship stuff is is where objects actually move versus just a medium speaking. Uh, they did it in absolutely total blackness, darkness. And they had, like, the trumpet and a ball, and it had uh, uh, glow-in-a-dark tape in it, and those objects actually moved. The other thing is the medium was in a uh, a uh, medium cabinet, and uh, when they turned the lights on, he was out of the cabinet in the middle of the circle. Okay. So... All this was done in, in darkness, and the reason they gave was that uh, for the safety of those involved, and that when ectoplasm occurs, 
that if it's not in total darkness, then the medium can actually get burned, which I was had never heard anything before. So, I mean, have you heard of this before? Uh, I've certainly heard that, that, that claim that you need total darkness, but do you know what? Um, as, as with everything in, in this line of research, there is um, a lot of well-documented seances that contradict that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harry Price, for example, and others... Um, uh, have used uh, with the full consent of the medium and and um, the participants in the seance. They've used uh, red light devices to photograph uh, ectoplasm and to um, uh, sort of track its movements. Price used a, a device called the shadow graph, which projected a red light uh, across the the, the area in front of the the medium, and then onto a screen, uh, and was able to sort of visualise the shadow of the ectoplasmic tele, uh, teleplasmic rods that emanated from the medium. So, whilst mediums might say that they need darkness for uh, for the manifestation of ectoplasm and to protect the medium from from harm and from burning, then there are well documented seances conducted by spiritualists who are part of the same, you know, uh, Arthur Findlay, who, who who will do the exact opposite and allow you to perform with lights on. Interesting. So, you know, I think the excuse varies, or the, or the rationale and the demand really varies from medium to medium. There are very few accounts where the, where the spirits themselves are demanding darkness. Um, there are, are lots of accounts where the medium is demanding darkness. Right. You know, I mean, it varies. I mean, for instance, Marjorie from Boston back in the mm-hmm. day of Harry Houdini used mm-hmm. to perform the medium, uh, the seance in the nude. Yeah, Marjorie is a, almost a legend in psychical research, uh, not just for her. I mean, there you have, I think, a classic example of somebody who should have been a star in Fifty Shades of Grey because uh, <laughs> Mar- Marjorie and her husband um, had a, a terrible reputation for being awful ex- exhibit, exhibitionists. Mm-hmm. Um, Marjorie liked nothing better than to be examined by the audience members, um, and would you know would often appear uh, quite f- uh, flagrantly uh, naked, and um, in a number of quite revealing poses as well. So uh, I think she was a. I think she was not just a medium, but an exhibitionist. <laughs> a, a, an early form of yeah. We won't go down that avenue because we're coming to an ad break shortly. Well, yeah. Saved I, by the ads. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I, I just thought about that, and, and then I thought about this new casting call they have for naked ghost hunters. Uh, so uh, maybe they're following the line of Marjorie and uh, uh, going on well, that. that. That program's been killed. Um, oh, that's a shame. Uh, they, they, ver- there was such an outcry uh, that they withdrew the whole thing. The whole thing is just gone now, so we don't have to worry about you or well, I. I, I, I hope I get around. my my uh, my reel back that I sent in. <laughs> Be on YouTube next week. <laughs> Anyways, it's time to take a break. So uh, you're listening to Fifty Shades of the Paranormal with. Uh, Steve Parsons and Ron Kolick right here on Tojinet Pararex Ghost Channel, uh, Planet Paranormal. And what's the new one, Steve? Um, RadioCrackle.com. 
Radio Crackle. You know, every time I think about that, I think of, uh, you know, the Clash of the Titans. Release the Crackle. Crack it. All right, whatever. So, anyways, we'll be right back after the following messages. Monday mornings just got scarier. Tune in every Monday at 11 a.m. for another episode of Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition with New England's own Van Helsing, Ron Kolick, and his inquisitive travel companion, Lou Blassie, the professor. Hey, that's me. Each week we'll delve into the realm of the supernatural where all that is is not what it appears to be. With remarkable guests, spirited conversation, and the occasional voice of the deceased, we'll bring you a whole new meaning to the term dead air. Ghost Chronicles, Mondays at 11 on Eagle Radio 1110. Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange, deranged, unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous. As we give the awards to the Parrax family. Greetings and felicitations. I am Ron Collette, New England's own Van Helsing. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the Blonde Bombshell. And we're here at the elegant Benford Hall, the Downton Abbey of Venice. And we would like to extend a formal invitation to you. To tune in every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. On Toginet, Parrot Ghost Channel, and Planet Paranormal. You can even listen live on your smartphone with your tune-in app. I'll catch the podcast on iTunes. And now, time for tea. And we're back live for part two. Well, we might... Not be live, of course, you might be listening to the podcast. But anyway, it's Ghost Chronicles International, whether you're listening on Radio Crackle, iTunes, Para-X, the Ghost Channel, or something else entirely. You're listening to, as I say, Fifty Shades of the Red Light Seance. Thanks, Nathan. And before the break, we were talking about, obviously, red light seances. And uh, the, the sound... Well, we, yeah, we sk- I skipped over the naked ghost lines. I was going to mention sound. Oh, oh, sorry. I went down the wrong street there. But, my, my bad, my bad. You know, once well, I get on that slippery slope, I, I can't stop. Well, whilst you, were, um, whilst you were enjoying tea at Downton Abbey, Downtown, 
with uh-huh. uh, with with the lovely Anne. Um, I was having a quick look, and there are there are dozens and dozens and dozens of non-red light seances. Um, we the red light seances, I think, is probably largely a misnomer because uh, I think that's more the creation of. Uh, maybe television and Hollywood, because spiritualists, although they did use red light seances, uh, predominantly just used dim light seances rather than red light. Uh, the majority of home circles, the majority of, because that's what that's what spiritualism large, uh, largely was was home circles and small groups of people assembling in parlour. So parlour seances uh, were, were much more common than than anything planned. Uh, you know, in, in terms of, uh, and they, they may have thrown a, a, a cloth over a lamp. That was often quite common. Uh, yeah. But the cloth could be any colour you like. Red light seances seem to be more Victor, uh, more the idea of the Victorian Gothic, uh, because back then people were mostly oil lamps or gas lamps, and if you just turn them down dim enough, what you're left with is a very dim orange light. So uh, I think dim light seances were. An awful lot more common, but there are hundreds and hundreds of uh, properly documented accounts of white light seances and even daylight seances. And red light seances as well. And yeah, of course, there are red light seances too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Red light really starts to come into its own, of course, in the twenties and thirties, uh, and the push towards trying to see into the dark using infrared photography, infrared uh, photography, uh, really. Although it pre-existed World War One, really uh, was used um, from World War One onwards as a means of seeing in darkness. Um, there, are, there are examples of uh, psychical researchers in the twenties and thirties uh, using infrared photography in order to be able to try to see in the dark, mm-hmm. and so they were flooding the séance rooms uh, using very powerful infrared lights, uh, and then recording the results on film. And, it, and well, several mediums were caught that way, um, mm. but uh, you know, red lights. I think you know, uh, it looks good. Our eyes, our eyes actually don't function terribly well in red, which is an advantage, I suppose, if you're going to be uh, playing tricks. Our eyes are really designed for the blue end of the spectrum. We work because obviously daylight is at the blue end, predominantly at mm. the blue end of the spectrum. Uh, so red light is uh, is not great for us to see it. We, we get by in red light. We don't do so well in red light, uh, the red end of the spectrum. We do much better in the, in the uh, blue end of the spectrum. And our eyes are most sensitive uh, to, the, to green. Interesting. Which, which is why all of your very early computer monitors, the monochrome ones, were always green, green screens. Yeah, I have one of those. It was, it was the easiest to get the high contrast from. Mm. And that's why night vision, you know, these image-intensifying tubes that they have on uh, night vision systems, mm-hmm. that's why they're green as well, because our eyes seem much better. Hmm. But anyways, hey, it's, 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 it's interesting. So is, is, there, is there still research being done on the science of document? I know that Jack Hunter was doing some at one time. I, don't, I haven't heard from him for a long time, but I know he was... Uh, doing some work with the the seance, but uh, do you know of anyone else who is? is oh yeah, working? oh yeah. There's absolutely uh, here in the UK. We have uh, a number of groups who are working uh, either independently or alongside the SPR, uh, who are studying actually uh, 
conducting sound circles, the traditional sound circles, mm-hmm. um, both for noises and raps, for, for materialization, um, and, uh, and, you know, the study of, of, of the sounds itself. Uh, so they're very much ongoing. Sounds are a lot they're sort of uh, they're not as popular as ghost hunts because uh, and they've never been a subject for for the mass media you know people you know, all the way back uh, right at the start of the home seances after the after spiritualism had sort of got going it was something people did in the privacy of their own homes or got together with groups of friends in the parlour uh, once or twice a week or once or twice a month and conducted their own uh, investigations and communications with uh, with spirits. Uh, it's never really been, um, you know, a sort of hot, uh, thing that people trumpet about. There have been one or two notable exceptions, of course, the Crew Circle uh, in the earlier part of the nineteenth and twentieth century. You have the Skull Group, famously, um, who have now re- sort of re- uh, reformed themselves and are. Uh, starting their work again there are research circles in the UK that some of them do involve um, psychical researchers as well, psychical investigators uh, but they're, they're not as prominent as perhaps other branches of parapsychology would be Interesting uh, Is there a definitive book on the seance that you would recommend to our listeners? Well, yeah, there's a definitive book um, well, no, not really, because there are there are you know there are books that are uh, in favour of the sounds written by spiritualists. There are books that are written by sceptics and by researchers who are perhaps against seances. Um, Eric Dingwall uh, wrote a book in the uh, called How to, How to. I'm just trying to pick it up, find the cover. Uh, How to go to a medium. Uh, there are books. Uh, probably two of them I would most recommend is uh, Investigating the Paranormal by Tony, the late Tony Cornell. Which Tony, Cornell. Tony Cornell. Tony uh, Cornell. Okay. C-O-R-N-E-L-L. Can we have him on the show? <laughs> Only if you have a medium. Okay. Because unfortunately Tony passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, Tony was a psychical researcher uh, and had dedicated his life to investigating and trying to answer some of the questions. And he was very closely involved in uh, both haunting cases and also in the sounds room. He he was one of the investigators who investigated the Skull Group. And his book is a very balanced account of it. He is neither a believer or a disbeliever. So his book, Investigating the Paranormal by Tony Cornell, uh, it's available on Amazon. It's available on eBay. Um, it's 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 still still a currently uh, and readily uh, available book to get hold of, and it's one that I would always recommend that people read because it's it's a good, well balanced book. Uh, there are lots of books about you know how to conduct seances and how to uh, uh, gain from seances written by spiritualists. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are books that, that there are books written by Houdini and by Price and by Dingwall um, that, that, that actually examine the, the the techniques of the fraudulent medium. Uh, so you've got you've got a whole raft of books. And as with any subject, if you're going to investigate it, if you're going to to uh, study it, and if you're going to research it, then you have to. You have to study both sides of it. You can't just read books about 
uh, fraudulent mediums because that would give you a very biased outlook and a very negative outlook on the subject and would would equip you very badly uh, to study the phenomena. You have to read uh, books that are very much in favour of mediumship and seances and look at books about the techniques uh, both for a good seance and and techniques that that are used to uh, perform tricks and to perform sham seances. I think you know you've got to be you've got to be fully open to all of the possibilities, and that means that you have to read both sides of the argument. I think uh, perhaps the most definitive uh, source for uh, investigating the paranormal, in my mind, would be the Vatican. Well, they've never really published anything. The the the, uh, the church, the the British, uh, the Anglican churches uh, did have a very active uh, um, psychical research group. They have now ceased, but they published a number of journals and papers. But the Vatican itself, whilst it might hold uh, a very large archive, which only I think Tom Hanks has got access to. Yeah, only. Tom. Um, the, the rest of us just have to guess at what they know and what they believe in. Now, obviously, the Vatican do conduct exorcism and do investigate uh, miracles and miraculous claims, and they have special commissions set up uh, exactly. in order to be able to do that. And they must have, over the years, gained a great deal of uh, information, a great deal of expertise in the study of that phenomenon. But they've never, they've never um, outwardly published anything. One of the Interestingly, one of the things that they have um, acknowledged is EVP research. Um, in fact, uh, I think it was in the 1950s to, to uh, Catholic priests, uh, and we talk about this in the book Paracoustics, were, were, at, were discovered that they had these extraneous voices on their recordings and concerned, of course, that they might be dealing with something uh, that, that the church would take issue with. They Brown. refer. Yeah, they they referred the matter, and there was uh, the Pope at the time ruled that it was a legitimate line of research and not contradictory to the Church's teachings or beliefs. So you do have a a, a papal a papal sort of nod of approval for EVP research. Now that's not a nod of approval to take a DR60 and go into a haunted house and demand that they tell you to get out of here or whatever else they do. But this is you know this is the lab based or the research-based approach to EVP, where people are... Which, which is still being which is still being done, and it's slightly different to the, the haunting-based approach to EVP. And this is in your book? Uh, yes, it is well covered in the book. <coughs> Excellent. You know, I mean, the, the, the people, uh, you know, don't realize that the Vatican was so much involved in, a, in the paranormal, because when you think about miracles and you think about some of the apparitions and sightings that were seen you're really talking paranormal uh, well if you want if you want to re people people have an uh, have a problem skeptics have a problem of course with things like miracles and they 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 always assume that the church is is gullible that the catholic church is is you know uh, in actual fact the catholic church um, if you if you read the accounts of the miracles of lords and the investigation um, that they have in place, the, the systems that they have in place, um, they they are draconian. They are absolutely uh, 
they work very hard to debunk any miraculous claim. And I mean very hard to debunk any miraculous claim. So mm. if a miracle is declared by the Catholic Church, you know, it's not done easily. They're, they're not comfortable about uh, declaring uh, miracles. But when they do, you can wager that uh, they will have put a great deal of thought into trying to prove that it's something else taking place. And to a large, to an extent, that also applies to exorcisms, because you can't just walk up to your local Catholic church and say, hey, my house is haunted, I've got a plague of flies and a pig's head, and there are demons in the basement, and I want you, know, I want you to pop out and do me an exorcism. Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen. Um, if you ask the Catholic church, your Catholic priest, for an exorcism, it could take a very long time. By the time you've been referred to the psychologist, the psychiatrist, the, the doctor... Uh, the building surveyor, and every other form of other expert to try and um, decide what is actually the problem long before an exorcism is author- or it would, be, it would ever be authorised. There are, uh, and, and I like the addendum to that, there are certain orders of the church that uh, will act on their own, let's put it that way. Um, yes, there are. There are. Uh, I'm talking about the Roman, the uh, Orthodox Roman Catholic Church. I am there too. Are, there are certain, for instance, I know uh, Franciscans are, are not. Um, what's the word? They're more apt to uh, help you out. I guess is the word. I don't know. I'm trying to, they're more apt to, uh, you know, not not delay it as much as as the the main. I, you you would certainly have no you would certainly get a blessing um, of yeah. either of either a person or a place with uh, a lot less effort, but the Catholic Church uh, before it goes to the you know uh, a full authorized exorcism or right, a deliver exactly. or, or is a deliver it's now called a deliverance they don't like the term exorcism yeah okay. uh, the they former exorcists yeah the former exorcists are now all called deliverance priests. Right. Uh, the uh, I want to give a shout out to Jim Stonier, who's uh, my EVP specialist, who is uh, listening in. He's actually in the chat room. So uh, I thought you were going to say he's possessed for a minute. Very well. He needs an exorcism. Hi, Jim. Uh, the interesting thing is, is we, you know, and I haven't uh, forgot the crunchies, Jim either. What's He'll that? Now, Jim will know what I mean. What? Jim will know what I mean. All right, whatever. Um, it, you know, recently the Japanese came, uh, we had a Japanese television crew that came over here and went out on an investigation with us. And they were quite, um, uh, what's the word, uh, taken back by the, the paranormal. Um, well, they were a little bit scared, I guess is the best way to put it. And one of the things when they heard voices on the tapes uh, that actually freaked them out a little bit. Um. Well, we we both had experience of working with the Japanese, and uh, we all know that you're a sensation in Japan. Well, what I have noticed, and what you've just uh, what you've just sort of reinforced, is that you said that they were a little bit scared. Uh, when I first worked with them uh, in their culture, the ghost, uh, the the what we would associate as the spirit of a deceased person. So, in actual fact, the spirit rather than the ghost. Uh, their name for it is Urai or Yurai. Um, they they are not things to be trifled with, and in the Japanese culture, they, they you know it's avoid, avoid, avoid. Don't go don't go disturbing the dead because mm-hmm. they're going to come back and be very mean to you. 
um, and they are something that you just don't mess with. And when the Japanese first came over here, I think it was about uh, 12, 14 years ago now when we first worked with them, we could barely get them out of the, uh, you know, into the haunted rooms. It was at the end of a sharp stick. Uh, they would they would go in with all the lights on during the day and put the equipment in, but then they ran away. Really? Yeah, well, they they were very 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 nervous. Anything any suggestion of um, active haunting, they they were they were literally on edge the entire time, and really couldn't understand why we weren't. <laughs> now, when I worked with them two years ago. Uh, they were, and they were a younger. They were a younger generation. They were a younger crew that we were working with. They were more relaxed about the idea. What's very interesting is that uh, you remember the horrific tsunami that uh, devastated Japan uh, the, a few years ago. There are a, there are a lot of reports coming from those tsunami affected areas where people are seeing apparitions. Um, and the Japanese don't really have a mechanism for investigating. They, they don't have any parapsychology um, departments. There are one or two um, researchers, academic researchers, who are starting to move into uh, trying to answer these questions about people's experiences in the tsunami area. But they're, they're just starting because culturally, it's only been in the last, the last very few years that they've even accepted that you can, you know, be in the same building as a ghost without it attacking you. Right. And that, by, that, by the way, is uh, telephone calls from the dead. Every time we talk about the dead, they like to call in <laughs> and contribute to the show. But uh, unfortunately, we're not taking calls today, so they'll just have to wait. But we do have a question that I missed from the uh, um, Parax chat room. And it says, uh, this is from PIA of my, of W, and whatever. Anyways, do you think that you would get more action with lights on because the spirits would draw more energy from them in the seance they're talking about? Well, do you know, the honest answer is that we don't know because uh, we have this conundrum. We have uh, a whole raft of spiritualists who are in, working in the seance room demanding darkness and telling us that that's what's required and that they need dim light or no light and you have others that say no no that's fine we can work with the lights on um, whether they can draw energy it, if we take if we take it at its base level if we just go to pure physics uh, and consider the problem as a physicist rather than as a paranormal investigator if if a sound is being made, then uh, air is vibrating. And in order for air to vibrate, something must be moving the air. If, if, uh, if a light is seen, then photons are moving. So in order for both of those instances to be true, then there has to be energy being used in some form. And I've always said that it's not so much about finding the ghost, it's finding the energy source, find the battery that's powering the ghost or the spirit. Uh, because, you know, if, if you see a figure, if there are lights that are, then, you know, photons are, are moving, uh, air waves, air is moving, and there has to be a cause for that energy, for that, for that movement and for that, for that, um, for those particles to, to, to start off on the trouble. They don't just do it spontaneously. No. So um, you know, if you hear if you hear a sound, then you're responding to the movement of air. If you see something, then your your eyes are responding to photons that are bouncing off the off the retina. 
Mm-hmm. And something now, started those into motion. One of the interesting thing is, is of course, we, we did use EMF meters on our investigation, and, and the Japanese uh, asked a, uh, an interesting question about it. And it was kind of cool because the question was, um, the director asked about electromagnetic frequencies. Mm-hmm. When the ghosts exist, what will happen to frequencies? Is there a distortion? Is there a positive, is there a concrete numerical number? And you and I both know that there is no attainable concrete numerical number that we know about. Is that correct? Uh... Well, A, that's, it. that's correct, but it goes further than that because unless you're using a very expensive type of uh, EMF meter that not mm-hmm. only tells you the amplitude of the uh, electromagnetic wave but the frequency, you don't have a blind clue what the frequency is. Uh, your meter might be telling you there's, there's five milligauss, but you don't know whether it's coming from an oven, a cell phone, or an aircraft radar going over the top. Um, you have to have the frequency information it's you can you can you know it's insufficient to simply say there's there's more or less of something but you don't know you don't know what that something is without the frequency information and what's interesting is when you do um have access to this sort of equipment and fortunately i do you find that the the emf is not uh not uh, what you're expecting at all. For example, most people automatically assume that the EMF inside a building is coming from the domestic supply wiring, the electricity supply itself. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. Um, it's, or, or, sorry, it's very rarely the case. However, it's very often the case that the wiring is responsible uh, but not the supply, because the wiring in a domestic house is ba- basically a, a series of very long wires all joined together, and they form a fantastic antenna system for low-frequency radio waves. Um, and so you, what, you, what you actually have is that the domestic wiring, the, the actual physical wires, are, re- are behaving like an antenna, and then they're re-radiating the electromagnetic radio wave back into the building and focusing it and concentrating it. It's a device called a, a parasite antenna or a capacitive antenna. Right. And, so, uh, it's well known to radio amateurs, but you can turn off all the, all the power to the building, but you can't, uh, and you'll still get the EMF spikes because they're actually coming from a radio transmitter hundreds of miles away that's working down on the long wave, or the short wave band. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing, of course, uh, you know, I did some research because I had to answer this question in the correlation with ghost hunting. So I found this little ditty. It says, ghost hunters use meters to look for spikes in EMF signal with the spikes suggesting a change in electrical current, thus a spirit being present. The association between EMF meters and ghosts is frequently made, although there is no firm connecting evidence of the two. However, researchers do show that high electromagnetic field strengths often correlate with personal experiences of hauntings. Professor John McFadden from the School of Biomedical Life Science in the University of Surrey proposed that the conscious mind consists of an electromagnetic field, a field that does not disintegrate when we die. The firing of electrical impulses along nerves in the brain is sort of like an alternating current system as well. 
uh, but with a lot more direction and cascading effect. This may be what we measure with the meter. Well, you don't know what you're measuring with the meter because it's not telling you anything but the amplitude. And moreover, as, as, the, as the author of what you just wrote said, it's a theory. And it's, right. it's untestable and unprovable. And the last line, which I should have read, is you, you must remember we are dealing with theoretical science here. Yeah. It's untestable and therefore unprovable. You can't, you can, you can say, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting idea, but we don't have the equipment to, to measure those frequencies because we don't know what those frequencies are. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, like try, it's like trying to invent a meter that, that can measure love. There is one. Yeah. yeah. It's called a Ron meter. <laughs> so anyways we've got to wrap it up uh, tune in tomorrow night when we do a live uh, video broadcast of Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with our special guest who will be Leslie Martin we will be doing uh, we'll be doing a lot of things but one of the live demonstrations we'll be doing is we'll actually be picking keynote numbers by dowsing uh, so you, if you tune in, you can uh, get the numbers and go out and play Kino and be rich and never have to listen to us again. So there you Before go. Before we go, can I just quickly answer Nathan's question? Yes, Nathan, your brain does have direction. There you go. Unlike me. <laughs> <laughs> so till next time uh, from Ghost Chronicles International, I'd like to say good night and God bless. And Steve. You want to take bless. us out? Well, if you can hear me, good night, God bless. Yeah, of course we can hear you. <laughs> Next week. Next week. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good law. I am 